Welcome to another spectacular word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. If you have your Bibles, we'll be going to the book of Mark. You know, God has a family. He put his family together. I was just sharing with our own campus congregation here how God prepared us last year. It has been a year ago that this is the first Sunday, uh, you know, marks a year since we were, you know, uh, uh, required, but since it became in the best interests of our community and our church and families for us to stop meeting and congregating, uh, you know, in, on campus for a season. And God prepared us and shared with us, and He certainly has taken care of us. And we just want to thank Him publicly for watching over us and our families. We know that this year has brought a lot of difficulty and a lot of loss to many families, not only here in our community, but, but around our nation and the world. And we mourn with those that mourn. And we are ever, however, lifting the testimony that God is a faithful God that God cares and God loves us, that He watches over us, that He knows what we're facing and going through, and He will never fail us and never forsake us. The church of the living God is bigger today, stronger today, going farther and faster. The church of the living God is reaching out more powerful and more productive than ever in the history of the world. God is strengthening His church just like he strengthened us a year ago. He is strengthening us now for the journey which is yet ahead. And even though God wins, yet you know we have to contend with things in this world, the enemies of the cross and the enemies of the message that we preach, the gospel, they are doing their best like a fish. You know, a fish fights hardest when it gets to the top of the water. You know, that's when it's, you know, uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's what the devil is doing. He knows his time is short and he is pulling out every stop, doing his best to deceive the nations. In fact, in Mark, the 13th chapter, that's one of the things that Jesus said whenever people ask him about the end times and, and when is this going to happen and what's going to happen. Jesus began by telling them, let no one see that no one deceives you. Don't be deceived, by the way, okay? We are in the last days, but Jesus has prepared us. He has literally empowered us and enabled us to meet every enemy, every obstacle, and defeat every foe. The church of the living God is not going to be found hiding in some tribulation cave, eating tribulation food, shaking in fear and trembling, dirty and dusty and worn out. The church of the living God is going to stand victorious upon the earth. And Jesus Christ is going to come and gather his bride at a point he has um, you know, at, at a point God has designed, and when God tells him, go and get your bride, he's going to come with a smile on his face for a bride that hath prepared herself and is adorned, you know, like a bride, you know, not dirty and dusty and not worn out, but empowered and absolutely ready to embrace our bridegroom. Well, that's not what I'm preaching on today, but I am preaching on that same devil. Okay, that same devil, 
You know, the same devil we are facing is the same devil that generations have faced, you know, since creation, since the fall of man. Do you know, um, uh, science fiction movies fascinate me. How many of you like science fiction movies? I do. I kind of like that. I like, you know, those old, you know, 1940s and 50s, some of them even farther back than that. Uh, you know, 60s, whenever, you know, they, they, they would do all that space exploration or, or even, you know, videos on gadgets like, you know, kitchen gadgets. I love kitchen gadgets. But to see back, you know, in the 40s or 50s or 60s, what they imagined, you know, 2000 would look like and, and what we would be doing, you know, I, I just love to look and see what people can come up with about the future. But uh, science fiction movies, they fascinate me. I just enjoy seeing what the minds of men can predict concerning the future. Uh, but no matter what the creators or the writers envision, they always seem to be limited. Because they always connect some future, you know, invention that is marvelous and amazing to something that we understand today. They can't seem to get away from it. If you watch some of those old space movies, you'll see the communication, you know, what they were expecting in the year 2000, you know, that, was, that you would get to communicate all the way from Mars back to Earth. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, you could talk back and forth. It was, but if you look at some of those movies... They're talking on something that looks like a 1950s telephone and it still has a little cord attached to it. <laughs> they can't seem to get away from, you know, knobs and levers and, 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 you know, mechanical switches and analog tubes and all the things that were real in their moment. It was in their present moment. And so they judged the future. No matter what they imagined about the future, they nonetheless had to cast it into some type of, of you know, reflection of their current situation. They just couldn't break out of the current moment to imagine something that they had never experienced, to imagine something they had never seen. You know, I mean, uh, we tend to tie things and understand things from the perspective of what we now know or what we have experienced. We tend to view the future from the platform of the present. You know, uh, forward-thinking dreamers of the day, whoever they may be, find it difficult to imagine life different than what they experience now. They just do. You know, it has to fit the frame of some reference and make some sense, connected to something familiar. We often try to connect things we don't know and a future that we cannot predict to something that, that, that we do know so that we can feel more secure about stepping into the unknown. We, we, we like to have familiar surroundings. We like to make sure that we, you know, uh, don't just, you know, completely get off the page. It can be hard for the mind to imagine something they've never seen are never experienced. People make this same mistake, by the way, when considering the things of God. We often view eternity through the lens of our own familiar earthly experiences. We often try to imagine us in heaven, you know, you know, meetings and you know, uh, you know, I mean, it's, and the only frame of reference we have is us here. And, you know, such was the case with a group of people called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, during the last few days, 
just before Jesus is going to give his life as a ransom for our sins on the cross of Calvary, he's in Jerusalem, and a group of Sadducees come to talk to Jesus, and, and uh, you know, uh, 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 they ask him a question, but they are coming from a frame of reference of their own experiences. We'll read this. Let me, let, let me first tell you just a little bit about the Sadducees, okay? These Sadducees had been around for about 300 years up to this point. We'll be going to Mark chapter 12, by the way. And they'd been around about 300 years. I like what one of my friends used to say, uh, uh, Moses Vey, he preached for us a number of years. He's in his eternal reward right now. But he used to say that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> they didn't just not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in demons, they didn't believe in spirits. They did believe in God, and they believed that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But the rest of the Bible, the, you know, the Psalms, the prophets, and all the other things, those were just, you know, you know, you know take them or leave them, okay? But they really kind of honed in on the first five books of the Bible. But nonetheless, these Sadducees, they did not believe that God was interested or involved in your daily life. They did not imagine that he cared. Oh, he created the universe, he set things in motion, and then pretty much, you know, okay, okay we can kind of believe in God did that. And, and Moses, you know, wrote us, he's our prophet, he wrote these first five books of the Bible, and he explains enough God to us that we, we're okay, but we really do not believe in the resurrection, we don't believe in life after death, and when you don't believe in life after death, you don't believe in judgment, you don't believe in reward, you don't believe in penalties. So the Sadducees, it was pretty convenient for them because, you know, I mean, if you did not believe in life after death, if you did not believe in judgment day, if you did not believe in penalties, if you did not believe in rewards, what motivation would you have to live a good life? Or, you know, what, I mean, what would you, I mean, these Sadducees, they became politicians. Hello? They did. They were the opposing political party of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were enemies against one another. However, they were in league when it came to being against Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would not join either party. Jesus would not become a Pharisee. He would not become a Sadducee. And he had a huge following. And because he would not join either movement, he became a danger to both and became a common enemy of both. And so they both, in fact, it was a Sadducee that was in, you know, in the seat of the high priest at that time. And, 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 and they were, you know, they, they were a council. They were a very formidable force. And they loved to pose questions, not just any questions, but questions that were, you know, unanswerable. Okay, foolish, ridiculous, hypothetical questions that no one could answer without incriminating themselves. You know, and let me just encourage you, don't answer hypothetical questions if you can at all avoid it. Okay, because someone's digging a hole for you to fall into. Let's pick up here as we're continuing our study on the Gospel of Mark. Mark 12, verse 18. And some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and they asked him saying, now remember who the Sadducees are. They're a group of national leaders, a smaller group of national leaders, okay? But they were convinced no resurrection, 
no spirit, no demon. God doesn't care. He's not involved. A life is what you make it, and things happen on earth because people make them happen. And they wanted to be the ones that were making it happen. And they felt as though that good things and bad things, you know, were, 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 were the outcroppings of what men did. And therefore, they wanted to dictate the decisions and the designs of men and society. In fact, the only thing that they really answered to uh, was their, their uh, uh, interpretation of what Moses said and society. They like to be in favor with society. Uh, Josephus described the Sadducean ideals uh, that, that, that they had a contempt for supernatural explanations. If, he, if you were going to give a spiritual explanation to one of their logical questions, you know, they were people of science. If they had experienced it, if they could calculate it, if they could control it, if they could manipulate it, you know, then it existed. And if it didn't, if you wanted to give them some spiritual explanation for one of their questions, and they were very good at posing hypothetical questions, they did it to intimidate the Pharisees. They posed hypothetical questions to intimidate those people that they did not like. And then they would just smugly sit back and kind of go, <laughs> you know, y'all know those questions, okay? And, and, and so they, they followed the scientific method. Josephus says that they believe life was based on law and human free will, wherein God had nothing to do with judgments, rewards, or penalties. As I said, this was convenient. It was convenient for them. It would be convenient for you. Can you imagine how free you would be if you did not believe in God? I'm talking about the real God. Not this concept of God that, you know, sure, somebody made the earth. Sure, somebody, you know, okay, I can buy into that. Yes, you know, maybe there is a God. But he's not paying attention to me. He doesn't really care what I do today. He's not involved in my decisions. And he's just kind of letting things go along. But they believed that when a person died, that their body turned back to dust and that their soul just ceased to exist. It's just gone. Therefore, they had nothing, no guidelines, nothing to hold them accountable to God. And if we did not believe in a God, how convenient it would be. Because we could do pretty much anything we wanted. But the moment you begin to believe in a real God... The moment you begin to realize that there is a judge that's watching you, that's making an account, that, 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 is, that is keeping a record, the Bible says, of even every idle thought, every word you speak. Now, I don't want to spook you out here, but that's solid Bible. It's not something we are often challenged to realize. But the Bible says that every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of himself unto God. Of every word, of every idle word. You might say, that's going to take a long time. Yep, but eternity is timeless. Eternity is not a lot of time. Eternity is where there is no time. And we can't conceptualize that. Why? Because, again, we live in a, in, you know, we have to equate eternity with something we understand. Does that make sense? So we tie eternity to a familiar concept we have of time. And we imagine eternity is just a lot of time. It's not. 
Eternity is off of the timeline. It sits out here somewhere, completely separate. That's why God can see the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. He's looking onto the timeline. He's off the timeline. And one day, time will be no more. We can't begin to understand that. We cannot begin to understand how you can go fishing for a million years and still be home in time for supper. We don't understand that. We don't understand how God could listen to every prayer prayed right now. I mean, if we would all pray right now, every one of us just pray right, right now, just pray, God could hear every one of those individually and respond to every one of those individually and not one second of time has moved on eternity's clock. We have a hard time imagining that because, again, we're tied to a frame of reference. But that's solid Bible. The Bible tells us there is a God who's listening, who's watching, who's keeping a record, and who will one day require you individually, not with your family, not with your spouse, not with your parents, but you individually to stand in front of him and give an account for your life. Now, if you didn't believe that, that would kind of set you free to do a lot of things. Uh, but let me just throw this in here. Denying God will not make him disappear. <laughs> okay? Just because you don't believe it or didn't know it does not change it. The Sadducees are going to ask a foolish question, okay? It's foolish to suppose, you know, uh, God doesn't know or doesn't care. These silly Sadducees just believed they were smarter than Jesus. And they wanted to shut him up. <laughs> just like they'd shut up everybody else that they went around, got a little group around. They got a little, you know, a little, uh, you know, a, a commission, got a little committee. They elected a chairman and a spokesperson. I mean, how would you like to have been the spokesperson? that was elected to ask Jesus this stupid question. Not everybody that asks you to be their spokesperson is your friend. Can you imagine how embarrassed this guy is right now? Okay, 2,000 years later, I bet he's still going, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I went to the Son of God trying to trick him, thinking he didn't have an answer. Anyway. This is the record of what this silly person said. Speaker of the day, verse 19. Teacher, Moses wrote to us. See, they, they, they believe in Moses. You know, we, 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 got the, we got the Moses thing down, okay? Moses is our prophet, okay? Moses wrote to us that if a man... If a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second brother took this wife, but he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third brother did the same thing. Verse 22, so the seven brothers had this same wife. They left no offspring, and last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, 
when they rise. Now remember, these Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. If you did not believe in the resurrection, why would you pose such a supposition based on the resurrection? Because you think you're so smart. And so many people do. Who moved God out of the picture. Who moved God out of his omnipotence. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Verse 24, Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. The way that Jesus phrased this, he said, you know, uh, don't you know that you don't know? Don't you know? I mean, uh, are, you, uh, you know are you not therefore mistaken? Don't you know that, that you don't understand? Have you not come to the place to realize that you don't understand things outside of your experience and outside of your realm of, 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 of revelation? Don't you know that you don't know? I'm going to ask some of you, have you ever come to the realization that you don't know? Yeah. Don't you know that you don't know? You don't know the scriptures, he's saying to them. Why? Because they had completely exempted all the other scriptures, which spoke of resurrection, which spoke of life after death. And they just wanted to encapsulate just the scriptures that favored their cause under the interpretation that supported their doctrine. Listen, that is something that's been going on for, uh, for generations and for thousands of years. Is that, is that groups of people get together and often gather together because of the, of, 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 of the small amount of Scripture that they agree on. And instead of surveying and opening their lives up to the whole counsel of God's Word, they are favorite word people, and they want to hear this word every time they get together, and they want to hear this one and this one and this one and only these, and throw those away, and let's not talk about those. And then they wonder why they don't know how to handle life or questions that, that, that rise. And, and so Jesus continues here. You know, you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead... When people rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise. Okay? He's about to say, now, now concerning, you know, I know you don't believe in the resurrection. So concerning the resurrection, concerning the fact that the dead really do rise, Have you not read in the book of Moses? I love it. Jesus goes right to the heart of, their, of, of what they believe. He goes into their book. He goes on their strong you know, suit. He goes into their stronghold, onto their turf. He goes right, you know, have you not read you know, in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You, therefore, you are therefore greatly mistaken. You don't understand. Even the, even the part of the Bible that you claim to believe speaks of the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. 
They were alive in the days of Moses. After they did, they are alive. My God. And here he takes the word that they have just tried to manipulate and straightens it out and proves this. Now, this passage uh, contains two main subjects. The word and power. That's where Jesus was going. He is going to talk about the word and he's going to talk about the power of God. You do err not knowing the scriptures, the word, nor the power, the spirit. You do err because you don't understand the word and the spirit of God and how these two interact and how they are the same. Uh, but, uh, but neither, uh, you know, the, the, these two main subjects of this passage, neither of these subjects is intended to, uh, to make married couples feel insecure or angry, or upset with God or their spouses. You know, you don't want to know one of the reasons you never hear this verse preached on? I mean, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach on this verse about when they rise, you're not giving them, because it, 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 it really is kind of, whoa, this is the only glimpse we have into Jesus saying this, and we don't understand exactly what he's talking about, but let me tell you what the implication is. Okay? Now, don't let this make you upset or insecure. Some of you are going, oh, great. You mean I don't have to be married to this person when I go to heaven? Hallelujah. And others are going, wait a second. Wait a second. This was forever. I heard you say it in front of God forever. We know another place that the Bible says, you know, that the spouse is bound to the spouse as long as they are alive. And once that's dead, then they're free. Uh, you know, th there are a lot of things we don't understand. But here, these Sadducees were making the same critical mistake. They were judging the future based upon everything they knew. Their only frame of reference for a covenant relationship was the frame of reference that they had concerning marriage here. And many times we try to judge things we don't know and limit them to the things we do. Judging eternity, for example, by the things that we have experienced here on earth. Well, at any rate, just because you were married to someone on earth, by the way, does not mean you will be married to them in heaven. That's something you, you need to realize. I mean, this is, you know, you are adults. Okay? Can you at least say, hmm, okay, he said that. All right, well, uh, you know, or are y'all going to be mad, <laughs> upset, insecure? You're going to be like the Sadducees, tear that page out of the Bible, strike that scripture off. Hello? Now, some of you are saying, I'm hanging on my mirror and claiming it every day. Um, <laughs> okay, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, how do I get into these things? Okay, in other words, here's the point Jesus is making. We cannot judge or limit eternal realities to earthly experiences. You just can't. And we cannot disprove, challenge, or change the truth like the Sadducees did with some silly hypothetical questions. The reality is that whatever God has planned for eternity is so much better. So much better for everyone than what you could ever experience on planet earth. So don't think you're going to heaven and getting shortchanged here. You're going to heaven and getting upgraded here. 
okay? It's going to be so much more wonderful, whatever God has planned. What is it? I don't know because I'm limited to my earthly concepts of relationships. I'm limited to my earthly you know, uh, experiences. And like the Sadducees, I don't want to just imagine that something can't be beyond my, 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 my you know, mental grasp. There are so many things beyond my ability to grasp what God intends. Jesus, however, did not intend with this one verse to set a doctrine or to exhaust the subjects of heavenly relationships and covenants. This is but one quick, short, brief, inexhaustible comment on the question that they presented. Jesus had bigger fish to fry right here. He allowed that the Sadducees had a problem in their doctrine because they limited God to only what they knew and to certain writings. Jesus himself quoted from the Psalms. Jesus himself shared what the prophets had to say. Here, you know, these Sadducees had limited God to their carnal understanding. And because they did not see Him actively involved in their everyday affairs, they believed that He was not. They limited God like so many have. Like perhaps so many who claim to be atheistic. Or so many who are agnostic. Are so many, you know, because they can't see it, touch it, feel it, because you can't prove it. How many times did people ask Jesus to prove himself? Because, you know, if he's really, you know, the Savior, he saved others, now let him save himself. If he comes down off that cross, we'll believe it. No, you know, no, you'd find some other silly, ridiculous, foolish thing to say. Well, if he's raised from the dead, no, you'd say his body was stolen. I mean, on and on and on and on. Here it is important to realize that science and experience are helpful in their limited applications, but truth far exceeds the realms of human capacity. We are unable to control or to predict, let alone harness, what eternity provides for us. It was common in the days when Jesus walked the earth and the Sadducees there, it was common for the Sadducees to provide these foolish questions. Their intent, again, was to shut Jesus up. As they had done so many times, the, the, the Sadducees had shut the Pharisees up so that they turned and way and walked in shame. You know, I you know, can't answer that question. I mean, y'all know the questions. I've had people, you know, pose questions to me that are absolutely hypothetical and unexplainable, unanswerable. They have no answer. Like, for example, if God can do anything, can he make a rock so big that he can't move it? You just want to go. I mean, if God really loves us, why, you know, are there children starving in Africa? I mean, I prayed. I prayed and I believed, and my house still flooded. Many people, 
are tempted by that same devil to turn and walk away and just shut up, walk away, embarrassed, intimidated, not even knowing what to answer. But Jesus was not so. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 26, verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. There's a lot of fools out here asking stupid questions. Don't give them, don't give them the satisfaction of giving them a stupid answer back. Okay? Because I promise you, you cannot satisfy the folly of a fool, no matter what you say. But do you know the very next verse? Chapter 26, verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. <laughs> lest he gets all puffed up in his own, you know, estimation of himself. And so, you know, how do I reconcile these two? Well, Jesus is going to answer these fools back according to their folly and not allow them the benefit of basking in their own shallow and empty pride as though they had turned him away. You see, they imagined he didn't know the answer. You know, not only did he know the answer, he is the answer. So rather than dismiss these foolish men, Jesus answers them. And, you know, uh, like I said, their great mistake was to imagine he didn't have an answer. In Mark 12, 24, Jesus answered them and said, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Here's, here's where you're falling down. You don't understand. The Bible says don't worry about it in the day that you are called to give an answer. Just let God speak through you. Don't try to come up with something smart or wise. Just open up your mouth and the Holy Ghost will let you have the answer you need in that day. Jesus here told them in verse 26, he went right to their foundation of faith. But concerning the dead that they rise not, or that they rise... Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore are greatly mistaken. You see, Jesus went on the offensive. He didn't, he didn't just back away and run away. Jesus knows the devil has no new tricks. The trick that the devil has been trying to play on people and what he's been trying to do to, to people for generations, for thousands of years. He's been trying to get you into a place where you feel like you don't have an answer. You feel like that nothing that you say will make a difference. You feel as though that you're, that, that you're held captive somewhere. Listen, open up your mouth. Don't let the devil intimidate you. Let the Holy Spirit speak out of you. When someone comes to you with a hypothetical question, trying to you know, uh, attack your faith, realize it's the devil speaking through them. It's that devil, no new tricks. He tried to do it at Jesus. He tried to intimidate Jesus. He tried to shut him down but yet he can't and he can't shut you down either you know people are just repeating the stupid stuff that the devil is speaking in their ears it may all sound good and benevolent but it is foolish and dangerous to imagine as the Sadducees did that there will not be a day of reckoning People may not believe in Judgment Day, but that does not mean it is not coming. Jesus said, you're mistaken. Don't expect the devil to bring up any new 
things. One of my takeaways from today in reading and studying this passage is that the same devil has been using the same tricks for thousands of years. Let me tell you a couple. The same devil that sold the idea of population control to Pharaoh in Egypt by the use of eugenics to keep undesirable groups from having more children. The devil sold that to Pharaoh in Egypt. And Pharaoh had forced, well, first of all, if you agreed, he provided abortions. If you didn't agree, there were forced abortions. And if you still didn't agree, listen, they would kill your baby. The same devil that sold population control trying to keep down the birth rates of the undesirables in Egypt also sold that same idea to Herod. And here Herod, 1,500 years later, goes down to Bethlehem because he heard there had been a king born there and, and he killed every little kid that was two years old and younger. Why? Because of an undesirable that was born and he wanted to hold this group down. It's the same devil that sold that same idea to the Nazis, to a man named Hitler, who decided that he wanted to control undesirable populations. It's the same idea that the devil has sold to national leaders today through things like Planned Parenthood, to hold down the population growth. The same devil, no new tricks, same old devil, same deception, and we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived. Abortion is the work of the devil. Killing babies. Holding down population groups. I'm not talking about those times when medical necessities bring a, 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 a parent to a very regretful decision in reality of which they must proceed for life and concerns. But I'm talking about those birth control methods that target certain populations in the United States and around the world. It's a demonic desire, and we would be wrong to imagine that it was not something the devil has done in generation after generation after generation after generation. God help us. The same devil that vexed and confused the people living in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that Lot was a righteous man, but living in the midst of that unrighteous behavior, it vexed his soul. What does that mean? It means he became confused as to what was right and wrong because there were so many people talking it and so many people doing it and it became okay with society and it became the norm and it became not just tolerated but it became something that had absolutely infiltrated the society and so he was confused as to what was right and wrong about sex and gender identity and all, all of that whole ball of wax 
that has been sold, that same devil has sold that same message in our nation and in the world today. It is demonic. Come on now. We're seeing the outcroppings of this. I'm going to get political. You know, Mr. Potato Head still lives. Come on now. Don't confuse our children like that. Don't confuse. I, am, I refuse to be confused. Without regard to how many people say it, how popular it is, or how tolerated it may become. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to be, be you know, a critical. I'm going to love, but I am not going to be confused. That stuff is stupid and silly. Some Sadducee came up with that. Somebody that doesn't believe in eternal judgment. Somebody that doesn't believe that they are going to stand in front of God and give an account of themselves before God. Do you know many people imagine that because they live in power and privilege on planet earth, because they are a king or a president, or because they are, they, they, they are a billionaire on earth, that somehow that this experience is going to carry over into maybe if eternity exists, if there is a God, if there is life after death, certainly in that world I'll be recognized as one with power and privilege as well. No. The king, the president, and the pauper all stand before God without respect to what you were, what you gained. In fact, there is every indication in the Word of God. In fact, Jesus said this. The more you are given, the more is required of you. There comes a greater judgment on the billionaire in heaven. A greater judgment on the president and the congressman in heaven. A greater judgment upon those leaders, upon the pastors. A greater judgment, the Bible says. Not a lesser judgment. A greater, no power, no privilege, no, no entitlement in heaven. If anything, the homeless will stand before God in a cleaner life. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And you're judged, the Bible says, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Number two, believe it or not, <clears throat> judgment day is coming. Okay? It'll be filled with love and laughter for the born again. It'll be filled with sorrow and tears for those who don't believe. And we should be filled with tears and prayers today for those. Every person will be rewarded or penalized. You know. By the way, let me make sure that you understand. In no way do we not love, respect, care about, pray for, reach out to those who may be walking in any deception or may have had to make or did make a very difficult decision in life. We're... We're not divided between baby and mama. We love them both. Okay? Both are very, both lives and both difficult situations 
are taken into account before the throne of God. And we love them both. No criticism, no condemnation, no rejection. But there is a future better than the past. May, may God's grace, if, if you have had an abortion, if you've been part and party to it, listen, God's heart and our hearts are more tender and loving and caring about you than you would ever expect, perhaps. We just don't want the message of abortive birth control to be a message that permeates our society. The day after pill is not, you know, uh, a license to have sex or to just take care of birth control. It's just not. Don't be confused. Don't let your children be confused. You know, sex outside the covenant of marriage is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is wrong. It's wrong for everybody. I just don't want you to be mistaken about what I'm talking about. Because, believe it or not, judgment day is coming. And number three, the third takeaway I have, is that heaven is a place all its own. You know, uh, Heaven will be filled with relationships so much better than any relationship I've ever had on earth. Okay? Including marriage. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Because marriage has been great. Oh, if it gets better, I'm excited. I don't know what God's got planned, but I am in for it. Come on now. Don't let your hearts be sad. Jesus has a plan. And it's wonderful. Have you made him your Lord and Savior? You can. You can, despite whatever you've done, where you're coming from, whatever has gone on in your life, you can make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life today by simply asking. Hey, thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hemmons. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.